today on 2C Fans. Okay, well, the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program is the world's longest running study of a wild dolphin population right here in Sarasota, right in Moat's backyard. But when you see them and they're happy, you just want to give them stuff. Yeah, ignore that. They're not always happy. It's like feeding a bear, okay? I mean, you <laughs> don't want to feed a bear, even if it looks fuzzy and cuddly and happy even when it's a little bear. You probably wouldn't just go up and try to hand feed a bear, right? So you're saying bad. Bad. <laughs> Hello, this is 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory. I'm Haley Rutger. And I'm Joe Nicholson. And we have Dr. Katie McHugh here. She's from the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program, which is based here at our campus and led by the Chicago Zoological Society. Hey, Katie. Hi. Thanks for having Katie me. Katie McHugh. <laughs> I just like saying Katie McHugh. Yes. First question, what is Katie's favorite color? Blue, of course, just like the ocean. Oh, okay. So what's the average airspeed of a swallow? The average airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? I don't know. Oh, laden or unladen? <laughs> um, African or I European? Know. What species of swallow are we talking about? <laughs> so a lot of people who may be listening to this may have already heard of this really great program because maybe they live around here in Sarasota or maybe they've been on Moat's Facebook or website or something, but... For the lucky few who are about to find out for the first time, what is this program? Okay, well, the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program is the world's longest-running study of a wild dolphin population right here in Sarasota, right in Moat's backyard. And it was initiated in 1970 and has been a long-term collaboration between Moat and the Chicago Zoological Society, which is really my and most of our staff's home institution, although we are very lucky to be based at Moat for most of our research. Um, we study the local population of dolphins and pretty much anything you can think about to study regarding dolphins, we try to learn about it here in Sarasota. Um, so we look at their population dynamics and ecology. We study health and physiology. We also look at their um, behavior and their human interactions and impacts, their communication, and um, you know pretty much anything that, that we would like to know. We, we started out um, tracking animals around to see how they moved and pretty quickly realized that the dolphins that we see here in Sarasota Bay and other estuaries uh, around the Gulf and Southeast US are resident animals. And the research program kind of built up around that. And so now we're pretty fortunate that we have this uh, natural lab out in Sarasota Bay where we get to go out and study animals that we know a whole lot about and try to answer uh, interesting and important questions about their biology and conservation. I'll bet you she knows the dolphin's favorite color. <laughs> Mm, no. Come on, Hales. Hmm. Where's your <laughs> No. Uh, whatever color their favorite prey fish is. <laughs> it's delicious. Yeah. Um, what, what prey do they like, by the way? Or what's some of them, maybe? Oh, well, they um, eat all sorts of different fish. Um, here in, in uh, the Sarasota area, they primarily eat um, fish. They really like to target fish that make their own noise because they can use those sounds to find them. So um, they feed on everything from spotted sea trout to toadfish to mullet, uh, pinfish, pigfish, drum. Yeah, drum. I would imagine drum yeah, yeah. yeah. So they like um, they like pretty much anything they can get their their teeth on. But um, they do tend to favor the ones that help them out and and let them find them by making their own noise too. 
What about fingers? Do they like fingers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they'd like fingers, but if you put your hand near a dolphin's mouth, I would beware because they are wild animals and you can get bitten. We have known of um, several cases of people being bitten by animals when they try to feed them things that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Tragically, that, that has happened a lot in some cases, especially our infamous dolphin beggar who passed away a year or two ago. Yeah. And so and beggar was fed all kinds of... No, I mean, people would feed beggar all sorts of things that are not healthy for humans or dolphins. How about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't um, think that, that orange in Cheetos is probably not natural. And Joe, fill in the blank. Feeding wild dolphins is... Bad. <laughs> Good enough. Good job. Congratulations. No. <laughs> illegal. Yes. It bad. is harmful <laughs> and illegal under the Federal Marine Mammal Protection Act. Joe said bad. Yeah. <laughs> It is. That's what it says in the, the MMPA. It says bad. Yes. bad. <laughs> <laughs> no. Please do not feed dolphins. Right. It is bad. But um, recently you guys have done, done a lot of research on that. Um, and even though it's sometimes a sad field, I guess, to work in when you have to see something bad happening to a dolphin that's been fed, but you've been studying what are the consequences of getting fed. Most people probably don't know that there are consequences to the animal. Yeah, so I mean, I think most people who see a, a dolphin, especially one like beggar used to be that's approaching them and, and, you know, begging from them and seeking food, they don't really think through what might happen or why that animal's doing it in the first place, what might happen to it if it gets fed. And when you feed wild animals, including dolphins, it's not good for them, right? It, it encourages them to lose their wariness of humans. It encourages them to seek out human sources of food. And it inadvertently rewards them for taking risky behavior that brings them into close contact with boats and fishing gear and other things that can be incredibly harmful. And we know we've had a number of injuries to animals uh, here in Sarasota Bay and, and throughout um, uh, the U.S. Um, that are from dolphins being um, entangled in fishing gear or ingesting or, or being hooked by gear. Also, dolphins being hit by boats. So manatees aren't the only ones that are in danger from boat strikes. Dolphins can also get injuries. And a number of these have been fatal. So it, it really it might seem like a nice and friendly and, and fun thing to do to feed a wild dolphin. But in reality, what you're doing is making it more likely that that animal will become injured and potentially not survive as long as it would have otherwise. But dolphins are always happy, right? Because they have that smile on their face. <laughs> so when you see them and they're happy, you just want to give them stuff. Yeah, ignore that. They're not always happy. It's like feeding a bear, okay? I mean, you don't want to feed a bear. Even if it looks fuzzy and cuddly and happy even when it's a little bear, you probably wouldn't just go up and try to hand feed a bear, right? So you're saying bad. Bad, exactly. I'm saying. I don't bad. know, Joe. Would you would you try to feed a bear? <laughs> probably. <laughs> this is why you're no. bad. <laughs> That's bad. All right. So so we know it's harmful, and just just how harmful, I guess, um, was was a really interesting um, research topic that you and some colleagues investigated more closely. We saw recently, and. So if a dolphin was getting food from a human source, which might not just be hand feeding, right? It could be, mm -hmm. could be a crab trap, right? Or it could be the dolphin um, pulling something off a fishing line. So it can happen in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and they we have a, a fairly um, 
and growing, unfortunately, proportion of our resident dolphins that we study here in Sarasota Bay that we know have either gotten or we suspect have gotten food from people, whether intentionally or sort of accidentally in the course of fishing activity. Um, a lot of that sometimes is scavenging on, on throwbacks. You know, people have to release fish if they're not the right size or it's out of season. And dolphins can unfortunately learn to come and, and take those fish and, and use them um, for their own purposes, which, you know, is not good for the fish stocks and, and also not good for the dolphins when they come close to people. Uh, and so we've had about 20% at this point of our resident dolphins have had some sort of injury from either fishing gear or boat strikes. And what we learned in this most recent study was that it didn't matter how dolphins got food from people. If they, if they were fed intentionally or incidentally, they were more likely to be injured. And this was about twice as likely as animals of similar ages that weren't engaging closely with people in any of these risky behaviors. So it's, it's a substantial amount of risk, yeah. Important thing is to be aware of your surroundings, right? If you've done something that seems to have attracted a dolphin to you while you're fishing, stop doing that at the moment, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the dolphin will leave you alone. Um, we recommend that you reel in your line if dolphins approach you while you're fishing, um, potentially change locations, move slightly so that the animal, you know, isn't getting rewarded for that. Um, try to wait if possible, if you can do that and it's legal in your situation, to release your catch until the dolphins have left the area, or at least release it quietly and not directly towards them so that you're not, you know, um, rewarding their behavior. Um, it's also important, you know, a lot of fishermen are concerned about their catch and, and releasing those fish so they can go on and grow and, and be caught again in the future. But same thing with your bait. Try not to discard bait towards dolphins either because that can inadvertently attract them to, to fishermen and they might come and steal something more important to you next time. So, yeah. How do, they, how do dolphins even figure out that they can do this? I, how do they discover this? They're smart. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, as as any folks who may have been out in Sarasota Bay are lucky to see dolphins feeding before might know, um, they have a really wide variety of interesting tactics and behaviors they can use to catch fish. They're, you know, able to capitalize upon all sorts of different types of fish and all sorts of different ways. And so, um, while I can't tell you exactly how the first dolphin learned how to get food from a fisherman, if they see a potential prey source that's available to them, they will go after it. And once they incorporate that into their sort of repertoire of tactics, then their other um, buddies, their, their friends, their close associates, their calves, their, um, uh, you know, their, their other individuals they interact with frequently, they are going to learn those behaviors from them. So we do see uh, dolphins in Sarasota Bay teaching, unfortunately, <laughs> these um, uh, risky behaviors and these unnatural feeding behaviors to their calves, along with the other really cool um, natural behaviors that they have. Things like fish whacking with their flukes. You may have seen that. Yeah, if you're, that yeah. That's always awesome. Yeah. Or when they chase them up into the shallows. Yeah. Yeah, that's always cool too. Yeah. And yeah. they've even learned to... So, to, so yeah. you, you get these, these, you know, bad ones that ruin it for the rest, right? <laughs> well, Basically is what of. you're saying? Kind of... Kind of. I mean, once once they learn, they 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 are going to share that with others. Um, so, unfortunately, in this case, they're not that selfish. I guess they okay. they share their knowledge amongst each other, and they can <laughs> learn from each other by watching and and seeing what works for others, and and then, yeah. So this program's been going for a long time. Um, what is one of the oldest animals you guys have been tracking? Ah, well. Along with us being a long-running study, we have some pretty old animals here I in Sarasota Bay. Yeah. And the oldest that we've known is a female named Niklo. 
And um, as of the last time we saw her, which was in December, she was 66 years old. Holy so, moly. Yeah. So that's a long lifetime wow. here in Sarasota Bay. Yeah. So they are territorial. They hang out. Like there is a group that is like Sarasota Bay Dolphins, and there's a Tampa Bay family of dolphins do you call them a family or what do you guys call them we call them a community Community. so i wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say they're territorial or that they defend a specific area in that way but they do tend to stay in their home community where they're born until they're adults both the males and the females stay here over multiple generations and we've seen up to five concurrent generations living in the bay at the same time oh wow so we'd had a great great grandma and her great great grand calf here at the same time is that yeah. nicola's family or that's another one? not nicola's family that's yeah. another one that was um kathy another well-known female that we had in the area and there's been a couple others since then but yeah so it's a community of dolphins it's not a pod no it's also not a pod when are we actually allowed to use the word pod what species might you have to mm, <laughs> killer whales. great example yes that's yes, exactly right okay. joe killer whales are a perfect example of a pod joe smart so for a pod you're thinking about a really stable social group right they're always staying together with their same individuals and awfully often excuse me those are family groups in in that situation at least maternal family here in sarasota bay we have more fluid social groupings so dolphins um that we know and that we study they have what's known as a fission fusion social structure And that sounds kind of fancy, but really all it means is that they um, interact with different individuals, sort of depending on the context and depending on where they are and what they're doing. So we know that moms and calves spend a lot of time together. And we know one of the really cool things we discovered here in Sarasota Bay is that the adult males form really close alliances with each other. So they have um, usually a a buddy or a wingman that they go about all their daily lives with. Yeah, (laughs) And then the juveniles are kind of in the middle and they hang out with each other. Um, And so they might have these preferred companions within their overall community, but they interact with a wide variety of individuals. And so they might be with just their calf in the morning and maybe meet up with a couple other moms and calves for, you know, a play date of sorts or a nursery group in the afternoon. And then, you know, later on in, in the season, they might be with some males as they're, you know, going about their courtship behavior and potentially getting ready to, to have their next baby. Um, And this can change on a minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour, day-to-day basis who they're interacting with. And do the communities intermix? Uh, Like, say, the Tampa Bay community, does it intermix with the Sarasota? Yeah. They do. Yeah, they do. So they definitely interact both socially and they do mate beyond the boundaries of the community. So it's helping keep the the genetics healthy as well. Right, exactly. Okay. Uh Well, there is a mosaic of communities all along the Gulf Coast. So pretty much most of the estuaries and bays that you'll find all around the Gulf Coast has a resident community of dolphins. And then if you go offshore, there's, there's dolphins in the Gulf of Mexico as well, along the coast and further offshore. They, as far as we know, they don't tend to be quite as locally resident, but they um, they have been seen, we have a number of animals in the coastal Gulf. We've seen over periods of 20 years, multiple times. So um, they may move a bit more widely, but but they still have that overlapping sort of 
um, community to community structure as they're going around the Gulf of Mexico. Now the offshore animals we are hoping to learn a lot more about. They're kind of an unknown right now and we're, we're hoping to get some more work out in that area soon. But we do collaborate with people all around the Gulf and we manage and curate a Gulf-wide um, photo ID catalog called GOMDIS, the Gulf of Mexico Dolphin Identification System. Mm -hmm. And this is a platform, it's online, where any researchers who have photo ID catalogs from Texas all the way through the Florida Keys, as well as Mexico and Cuba, can submit their images so that it can facilitate cross-site matching and trying to better understand those dynamics across those community boundaries and between different study sites. So we're learning a lot. Is, is there like a, a giant map showing all the different communities around the Gulf? There is. There's probably a couple locations we could find maps. Um, one would be through NOAA, so the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They are the agency responsible for managing marine mammals in the United States, and they have broken up this entire region into different stocks, which are, you really? know, basically reflect as what we know about the community structure throughout the Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, and they have sort of little boxes for different management units all throughout the Gulf. Um, there's also um, an online map that more people can probably access that's um, through OBIS CMAP. Um, it's facilitated through Duke University. And that shows, um, I believe you can get to a map that would show um, at least star locations for all the places where we have um, uh, dolphin identities for the GOMDIS catalog. That's Very cool, cool yeah. yeah. You know, being that, given that dolphins are, <clears throat> you know, relatively sophisticated animals with, you know, a lot of you know, ability and social behavior and that kind of thing. It would be so interesting to, not to use the wrong word, but see if there's a different sort of culture in each, mm. <laughs> mm. just a different way of living. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I would say that's a, that's a pretty accurate word to use, actually, okay. when you think about it, especially, I mean, the main area that we're able to see those types of differences between communities is in this feeding behavior, these foraging behaviors, <laughs> because each individual and each community has a different sort of toolbox when it comes to how they're feeding and what they're feeding on. And one of the ways, because they, they learn these socially from each other, one of the ways that we can kind of get at this different culture between different communities is in how they feed. Um, so we see some unique behaviors here. Um, uh, we see barrier feeding along seawalls. That's not something you might see in an area where that's not available to them. Mm -hmm. um, further uh, south in, um, in Florida Bay and in a couple other areas, you see animals working tw together cooperatively to do what's known as um, mud ring feeding, where they, they'll actually like drive schools of mullet up against um, a barrier of each other and sort oh. of, <laughs> um, that, that's up in Cedar Key. Uh -huh. They'll drive them over and the, their buddies can catch them. And down in Florida Bay, they'll actually make these sort of rings in the mud where they, they kick around and use that to kind of herd fish inside those, those rings. And we don't see those behaviors everywhere. But we've been able to see some even come through from community to community. Mm -hmm. So there's a behavior that we see here called kerplunking. And it's <laughs> called that because that's the sound it makes. But it's okay. basically like the dolphin brings its tail out of the water. And then it makes a big kick down into the water column. And we think that this is used uh, to kind of... Uh, create a pressure wave that will flush fish out from their hiding in the seagrass beds. Mm -hmm. So they tend to do it kind of right on that boundary between seagrass and sand flats. Mm -hmm. And we used to only see a few animals do it. So there were animals from mainly the Tampa Bay area that would come and do this behavior. Are they more, uh, you know, uh, male dominant or 
the communities? Who who runs the community? Is there a boss, Dolphin? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is there a um, CEO? Doctor Randy Wells. No, there's not a single boss, Dolphin. But um, I'd say they are sexually dimorphic. The adult males are bigger and stronger than the females, and they can um, use that body size to you know coerce females into. Um, you know, uh, consortships with them and stuff. Um, but for the most part, they they are um, competing against each other. So the males are competing against each other for access to females, and um, the females are, are also having quite a bit of, you know, autonomy over their own lives in dolphin world as well. Um, they, they are um, fairly promiscuous in terms of their breeding. They don't have a, a single partner or anything like that for life, and they aren't under the control of any particular... Um, Male. In terms of learning and teaching, um, mm-hmm. the females are really important for that. So okay. we know that the females, they can live longer than the males. Our oldest male was in his early 50s that we ever knew about, whereas our oldest female was in her you know, mid-60s. And so they probably play a really important role in sort of being the keepers of ecological knowledge and social knowledge. And they do help to um, teach all of these things to their calves and to their family members as they continue to interact with them. So, I mean, the calves, they stay with their mom for three to six years, usually, um, before they go off on their own. And they really only need her milk for their nutrition um, for the first year and a half to maybe two years of life. So we know that they're learning a lot more from her than just, you know, getting that direct food source. And, and we think a lot of it is learning about the social community and the ecological community that they're a part of. So can so. you imagine your mom being like, okay, you're three now, go get a job. <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Go fend for yourself. That's how it was in my family. Mm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> are there any dolphin myths that you would really like to have busted that, that people are repeating to you all the time and you're just shaking your head? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, this is going to sound kind of mean if I don't want to bust it, but oh. maybe that the, the, yeah, that the dolphins are always friendly or that dolphins really love humans. They're always happy. Right? I mean, it's what? they're... They're animals, just like any other animal, right? Well, they and have that so, smile on their face. I know Katie. you what, said that. that but so but do so do alligators. It's just their anatomy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just how their face looks. Come on, that's <laughs> <just how> they, <laughs> they were born that way. So we know from being being here long enough that they are capable of some serious aggression within right. within each other and as right. predators. Right. Yeah. They are, and and so I mean, while they're amazing creatures, which we have a ton of fun watching when we're out in the bay, and we encourage anyone who sees them, you know, to stop and watch and see what they're doing. They're definitely not animals that you want to approach closely. You don't want to be swimming with them. You don't want to be trying to pet them or touch them. You don't want to be trying to feed them because it can be dangerous for you. You can get bitten with those sharp, pointy teeth that are behind that smile. Mm-hmm. And um, and we already talked about if you feed them, then that's also going to be bad for them as well. So um, while they, they certainly are fascinating creatures, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're, you know, man's best ocean man's friend best, or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, they're not yeah. like the dog of the sea. No. There, there is no dog of the sea. <laughs> Why not? All right, yeah. well, if there was any... So that's a myth, but if there was any one message you wanted to get out to the general public, what would that be? 
I think the main message would just be to understand that the waters that we enjoy for recreation and, and pleasure are really these animals' home. You know, they're, they're long-term homes, and when we're out in the environment, we're really their guests. And so if you think about it that way, you know, you want to share that home, you want to make sure you don't leave a lot of trash around, you want to make sure that you're, you know, giving those animals space to do what it is that they need to be wild dolphins. And then everyone can enjoy their day and, and enjoy the wonderful place that we get to call home here. So, yeah. So I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stop leaving like fishing line on my neighbor's living room floor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Find yourself a monofilament recycling bin. Exactly. <laughs> no. Exactly. Um, and don't don't feed them, as Katie really yes. nicely said when we learned about this story. Don't even toss one shrimp. Yes. Not even one. Not even one. All right. So Katie, um, with the with this new report that you and some co-authors have done, where can people, you know, go to see or read this? I should say you're not going to see. Yeah. It. Well, you got to see it to read it. I well, guess. Yeah, that's true. You do. Yeah. Um, well, thanks. Yeah, it's actually I was recently published in the journal Royal Society Open Science, so it's uh, freely available to anyone who'd like to um, check it out. And the paper is called "Food Provisioning Increases the Risk of Injury to a Long-Lived Marine Top Predator." And the first author is uh, Christensen, a uh, postdoc, Frederick Christensen from Murdoch University in Australia, who helped us with the, the modeling and, and statistics uh, behind the, the paper. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Sarasota Bay is a beacon to, to dolphin-interested people around <laughs> the world. <laughs> we're really like lucky. Yeah, we're lucky that we get to work with people from all over the world who, who are interested in, in using what we know about the local animals here to try to answer other questions. So it's, it's a cool place to be and a place I'm fortunate to work. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, it was great having you today. Right. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you for being here. And... And get ready for another episode of Two Sea Fans at Moat in two weeks. And remember, please donate because people like Katie can't do her job without the help of every one of you. So both Moat and the Chicago Zoological Society would love you if you support this kind of research. So, thank so you if you love dolphins, yep. love them back. <laughs> <laughs>